This podcast is brought to you by our patrons. To help support the show, visit patreon.com slash haveadrinkshow. This is your beer, liquor, and other beverage news the week of September 8th, 2018. Pat's Blue Ribbon loses their CEO, but sadly not their brewer. First class on American Airlines is not a cheap drunk. Angel Zimbia is trying to build heaven on earth. And get ready for Washington's new naturally smoked wine. All this and more on Have a Drink News. Welcome to Have a Drink News, the show where we cover the week's popular news about what you drink. I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Fraser. I'm Christopher Walker. And I'm Casey Price. Yeah. Let's move in to some news. As we mentioned during that intro, uh, Simon Thorpe steps, steps down as Paps Blue Ribbon CEO. Uh, apparently there were a number of executive changes, uh, but the chief of them is that the chief executive officer, Simon Thorpe, uh, who's been with the company for 21 months, is stepping down. Uh, it says, along with him, the chief operating officer, Brian Boosley? Boosley. Sure. Boosley. Probably Bousley. Uh, is stepped down, or, uh, stepping down from their roles. Uh, the chairman, uh, Eugene Kapschner, Kapscher, Kasper. I have a lot of weird names I'm trying to get <laughs> through, guys. I'm sorry. Uh, but Kasper, who along with a private equity firm, TSG Consumer Partners and other investors purchased the company in 2014 for a reported $750 million. Uh, he will resume the CEO role. Uh, he said, these were not easy decisions, and to be clear, oh, excuse me, this was not about cutting, oh, pardon, this is not about cutting costs, but rather about becoming laser-focused and unleashing the potential of our iconic brands in our platform, as well as driving a truly entrepreneurial, small-company mindset. That is a lot of buzzwords. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like at a certain once you hit to a certain level in business, you only speak in buzzwords when there's a, when there's a time for a release. <laughs> yeah, that's about right. Uh, when Thorpe was hired, Cashper told Brewbound, uh, where we got this from, uh, that the chairman and CEO roles should be split and that his experience and personality be much more suited to the chairman role. Well, <laughs> uh, five months after he was hired, Thorpe, the former president of Duval Mugrat uh, USA, uh, was tasked with reorganizing PAP's leadership team at the time, Rich Pasuschi who had served as, Pat, uh, served as Pap's chief growth officer, and Bruce Munter, who's the company's chief sales officer, were laid off. Six other employees, including a regional vice president, were also terminated. Uh, five, months, five months later, Pap's tapped Matt Byrne as its new CMO, letting go of longtime CMO Dan McHugh in the process. Sounds like this guy was more of the hatchet man they brought in to... to mm. Yeah. Make this a bit more lean. Uh, so maybe maybe it's not necessarily that he's getting fired. Maybe just be that way. All right, you've done enough for us. Get out. Yeah, uh, and Pabst has not had a good go of it recently because we've been talking about a lot of... Who was it that's offloading? Because they don't even brew a number of their uh, big label stuff. It's brewed by well, other they people. Are, and they're they're currently in that $400 million lawsuit against Miller Coors yeah. over uh, contract brewing. That's right. what it was. Yeah. Miller Coors brews a lot of their big name things. And Miller mm -hmm. Coors just said, look, we're dealing with some problems of our own. We can't keep brewing your stuff. Uh, apparently, uh, the press release uh, uh, released with additional details about Pap's latest executive shuffle, including hiring of former Stone Brewing vice president Ron Kane. Uh, I'm going to see where they put him at. Uh, Ron Kane, currently Vice President of Supply Chain and Distribution at Stone Brewing, will be joining Pabst Blue Ribbon Company as Chief Supply Chain Officer. Uh, he's long. Yeah, they're just talking about what he has done. But So apparently they're, they're taking some guys from Stone. Or a guy. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, the deal with cores, though that that might be a little uh, 
little rubbing someone the wrong way then. Yeah, probably. <laughs> hmm. But uh, yeah, this is, you know, there's a lot of big, big shakeups going on up there. I hadn't, you know, I know sometimes you do bring in someone to uh, clean house, I guess, or, or restructure everything for you. But, you know, <laughs> they basically went back to how they, they're, they're kind of going back to how they were before, at least at the very top by going, yeah, no, I'm going to be CEO again. Hmm. Yeah, you move from that bottom of the barrel, you know, that bottom shelf up to the highest shelf, I guess, though. That shelf that's at 30,000 feet. Right, Chris? Oh, yeah. Got to move on in so you can get those first class tickets on American Airlines. Because American Airlines now serving uh, Krug Champagen. uh, And it's... Yeah, got to make it extra special. Uh, (laughs) And it's flagship first dining lounges. Uh, of course, there's a catch. Special section, and thus its bubbles, are reserved for first-class passengers only. Uh, according to tr- uh, travel blog, view from the wing, Krug will be served in select lounges in New York, Miami, and Los Angeles until at least March, a uh, spokesperson said. If we receive positive responses, we'll keep it around a bit longer. So this is not that they're serving it on the plane. This is that they are serving it lounges. in in the lounges they have before you board the plane. Correct. Okay. Uh, but there was always that uh, loophole where you could buy your ticket and then uh, you'd buy the ticket, get in, and then it was like uh, cancel your flight and then you're still in to the lounge. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know about the cancellation fees or whatever. And then you still get to partake. Of all the free stuff once you're in the lounge. I don't know if that yeah, would still usu- work. Usually they'll have two different types of lounges. They'll have the very high class, first class uh, lounge. And then they'll have your front of the mill, everybody else gets in, 50 bucks a day type lounge. The kind of lounge where uh, uh, certain people like to go and drink Prosecco for hours on end. <laughs> I, I do yeah. not think this is that kind of lounge. Uh, they say... We're not sure how free Krug uh, could possibly elicit negative response. (laughs) The Louder Champagne producer is not only one of the best in the region, it's also extremely expensive. Some bottles retail for up to $2,000. That Uh, doesn't sound cost efficient. No. Mm -hmm. In other words, this is a serious juice. We hope the select few who enjoy it uh, will appreciate it and maybe sneak a bottle into the main lounge. That is, wow. So, uh, how much, roughly, would a a first-class ticket on American Airlines from one of these destinations run somebody? Yeah, so you're looking at, for a normal flight from New York to L.A., it's like 1200 bucks. But if you were flying across the water over to Heathrow Airport, it looked like it was going to be about eight, nine, ten grand. The key is that these bottles that they're serving are probably the low end of this very hot, expensive brand. So they're probably running in like the $200 a bottle range. Just still. Which is, yeah, and, and still a step up from what they had been serving even the past three years or so, uh, which has been a $119 bottle of champagne. <laughs> wow. Uh, it's still a bit much just to get the champagne, but... I don't know. A little, little expensive. Yeah, really. What else is a little expensive? <laughs> well, uh, our favorite bourbon brand that has been aged in sherry ba- barrels, of course, Angel's Envy. I was has... about to say, like, are they our favorite brand? <laughs> well, yeah. our favorite that's been aged in sherry barrels. Sure. Oh, that's okay. key. Um, it has plans, potentially. That's that's literally, the, the news article says Angel's Envy is probably building a new distillery, uh, has plans potentially to build a new distillery in Henry County, Kentucky, according to a report by WDRB. The premises should include both a production facility and five 59,000 square feet single-story rack houses spread across a 350-acre estate. Located... <laughs> don't put all your don't put all your barrels into one house. No. Uh, located, and then you become sad. Quite. And, and the fishes become dead. Located what a, a warrior's death. 
<laughs> about an hour's drive northeast of Louisville. I thought that was like Indiana. <laughs> no, say. I mean, yeah, <laughs> not not an hour and a half as the crow flies. Just <laughs> however long it takes that road to get there. It would potentially include a visitor center and likely be adding as a stop on the Kentucky Bourbon Trail. Founded by the legendary master distiller Lincoln Henderson and his son. Anytime they put legendary in there, it always makes me feel like it's more marketing speak than anything else. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Founded by uh, him and his son, Wes, in 2006, Angel's Envy has sourced the whiskey. Yes, that's right. It's a sourced whiskey um, for its bourbon and rye from undisclosed distillers since that inception, adding its own final touch through barrel finishes. International drinks conglomerate. Bacardi Limited acquired the brand in 2015 and a year and a half later opened a $27 million Angel's Envy distillery in downtown Louisville. The distillery joined the Kentucky Bourbon Trail a few months later. That facility has been pumping out whiskey ever since, but with space at a premium, especially in downtown Louisville, they seem to have hit a ceiling. According to WDBR, Henry County Judge Executive John Brent stated that the first prior to priority with the new construction project would be to create storage space for the barrels coming out of Louisville. So they're not going to be distilling immediately. They're just trying to find a place to to store their whiskey. Construction on the first rack house could start as early as this fall with two more being built in the following two years. After that, the distillery, which would be similar to the Louisville distillery, according to a zoning change appeal presented to the company or by the company's attorneys and remaining two rack houses would be built within five to eight years. So, building out for growth, it looks like. Hmm. So, I personally think that no distillery should be, like, in the middle of a city unless the city grew up around the the whole property. Because I just feel like you should have to go out to somewhere where they're like, all right, you know, I cut down cut down that tree there. And we'll build a, build a whole, you know, whole spot there so we can have more, more storage. Like, it feels like it should be more out of the way, in the hills, yeah. a few vats. <laughs> An undisclosed number of rats dying near where you're. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the idea of putting a distillery downtown in a major city is is all marketing play. Yeah. The problem with it is that what they're facing right now, if you grow, you don't have anywhere to grow. Now, they don't expect them to close the downtown facility, but here's the issue. They're probably still sourcing a good majority of their bourbon and maybe maybe this is a way to help getting away from that but yeah and and well at least give the impression that they're getting away from that um you know if you paid i can't remember what they paid in the buyout here but if you paid what they what they paid for this this brand you're going to probably keep from changing as much as possible and if you're buying your bourbon or your your rye, especially from um, an Indiana distillery, that's you know oh, a shorter distance than uh, than your new distillery would be from the brewer or from the current one. Um, it may be just a way to bring those barrels from Indiana across the border a little quicker down to uh, this new plant. Mm, that's that is true. Uh, you know, I also wonder though if maybe. It gives them a, a place where they can they can try to make more of their own stuff and make more unique stuff. It's not just, you know, I don't know, you know, the same, same, you know, same line of whatever. Like, oh, no, we're going to have a 10 year age, you know, 10 year aged one in raccoon barrels. I don't know what that is, but <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea of a raccoon barrel, though. It's just yeah. an old barrel that sat out back for too long and some raccoons set up shop inside of it. <laughs> they get in there and just you spray it You say set up shop? I'm just picturing the raccoons have cut out a hole and they're just selling whiskey from a <laughs> barrel. <laughs> like, like I'm me, me? P- <laughs> picturing them like playing cards and <laughs> some, some stuff someone, going down. Someone finally we have some very cartoonish and... versions of raccoons in our heads. Yeah. Yeah. My raccoons have shotguns. Dear. Just, I say, I was just thinking someone had to go out back with you know a hose and spray them to get them to leave. Like, yeah, yeah. Nope, yeah. that's why they bought the shotguns. <laughs> <laughs> the raccoons are going to stand their ground. Um, mm-hmm. Well, um, <laughs> I don't know how we transition from uh, <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> from cartoon 
from cartoon uh, surely these to... these dry these dry raccoons would be having a fine smoke oh boy <laughs> i was actually picturing that was part of the little poker scene in my head well you, you have to have a cigar somewhere yeah that's, yeah. A, that's a rule um yeah so um, no poker game is 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 complete without a without a cigar yeah if we've learned nothing from cartoons and paintings uh <laughs> So uh, this one is a little, it's more of a preparation than something that's actually happening, but um, they're trying to get at the root cause of it and see what they can do. So um, this has to do with the the smoke from the wildfires, uh, specifically in Washington state, affecting all the grapes for wine. Um, So Tom Collins, who is, I know, I was like, really? That's his name? Uh, he's a wine chemist based at Washington State University, Tri-Cities. He grows his grapes on an experimental farm in Prosser, Washington. And the hills around the farm are a patchwork of blackened remnants of brush fires. So um, right now they're using a tent around um, different kinds of, of, of grapes. And uh, they're simulating what happens with uh, wildfires in the Cascades or Sierra Nevada. Mm-hmm. So they're oh. they're trying to get ahead of it basically. So um, what they're this is the worst name by the way though, but like what they're actually calling the phenomenon is smoke taint. <laughs> 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 oh, all right, all right, all right. Everyone have a good laugh. Get it out of your system. <laughs> Why isn't smoke in the chat right now? He, he is. is. <laughs> oh, is he? I saw he was in the in the uh, Discord. Oh, yeah, he's in the chat. Because he said it and better I'm not waiting, affect the I'm hops. for the lag to catch yeah. up so we can see his reaction to smoke taint. So smoke taint. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> that name, his, his concern is it affecting the hops. Yeah, that, that, see, that's fair. Uh, this is just about the grapes so far, but I'm. that's interesting. Uh, so the experiment is uncovering the details of smoke taint. Uh, it's, partially, it's partly funded by the Washington State Wine Commission, which is apparently a thing. Pouring two point two million dollars a year into Collins' study, um, smoke taint is a bigger issue in wine grapes compared to other fruit because the grape skins stew in the juice after being crushed, and the smoke particles sink into the wine. That tends to be what happens in the taint. <laughs> I was gonna say, like, I was wondering who was going there first. Just keeps that image going, like, oh, a swamp. Yeah. Ugh. Uh, all right. So, although most grapes aren't affected if exposed to small amounts of smoke, there's no general agreement in the industry on when smoke taint will appear and when it won't. <laughs> let's let's go to our let's go to the source. Smoke. How long? T- <laughs> it's like it's the the it's elusive the Bigfoot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. When will he appear? <laughs> Smoke's like too easy, too easy. When will, when will his taint appear? Uh, oh dear. Mm. Uh, okay. Um, so. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so it, it's it's basically they're talking. This is a, a a little bit longer of an article here, but basically they're talking about it being bad for business and and like trying to get ahead of this because it's it's an increasing problem. But the brush fires in Washington, the wildfires um, in California, and and going on up into those uh, you know northwest states. Um, I was gonna say yeah, because basically the West has been on fire for like the last six months or something i don't know yeah like well, it's it's been nuts so i mean that's why you manscape is to prevent these things <laughs> which i mean yeah landscape <laughs> oh oh landscape yes yes uh <laughs> so um they uh, in the experiment so they're asking basically is this going to be super bad this year in particular um and they're they're not sure just yet but experts are saying that this year won't be as bad for it um this uh but they're, yeah, as as they're still not con- like confirmed on that. Um, now the um, much of the smoke originated too far away from the like the Washington grapes that they're concerned about right now. But um, the the fires are are increasing in Washington State, so it's it's becoming more of a problem. Um, and like part of me was like, well, I I would I would drink a smoky wine, but then. You know, obviously, like, if you're an actual wine person, you're not going to want, <laughs> like, that's not always a thing. So, yeah. No. Oh, I just saw I, I, I just want to see someone, yeah. Just want to see someone, like, you know, swirling some, you know, s- swirling a, a, a wine in the glass. Attending hints of smoke. That's... Interesting. 
Yeah. Mm. It, it's saying here under the heading traits of the taint. I know. <laughs> that, I've been trying uh, not to like get into some of that, honestly. Traits of the taint. Mm, it's a little, it's, it's musty and kind of salty. And All right, all right. <laughs> it's, they're saying that they used a bark mulch, which is more akin to the forest fires instead of uh, brush. Like you would see in landscape fires in in eastern Washington state, Hmm. which I thought was pretty interesting. They actually go out. It's like, oh, this is a cherry wood versus a uh, a apple wood smoked bacon. And so you kind of got to figure out, okay, is this a cherry wood or a pine smoked uh, smoked wine here? Well, I guess that makes sense. Consider, I mean, because brush fires aren't really the bigger issue. The bigger issue is going to be the wildfires that happen. And it has been in more than just California. So yeah. um, those yeah. fires in the smoke, it's like there's a lot of pollutants and things that are getting mixed in because it's not just natural vegetation burning. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's all it's, those tires. Uh, it's going to hitting neighborhoods and things that are. Yeah, no, it's houses. And, and, yeah. yeah. A lot of we, chemicals we, and stuff. One of the only al- one of the only allowed channels at work is uh, the weather channel. And so occasionally I get to see how actually messed up some of those fires are because it's like, oh, yeah, whole neighborhoods are just going up and you're like oh crap it's kind of one of those to be fair for the weather channel wildfires and hurricane season are like they're big time they're jam (laughs) yeah i i do part of me is like i don't know we had one time the whole hillside caught fire dad just went outside with a hose and just started like spraying (laughs) near the house and i went it's not an option everywhere no no (laughs) especially if you're like deep in the hills somewhere (laughs) good gym out there yeah all right uh what else we got? Well, speaking of old and smoky, there we go. Yeah, <laughs> uh, old and smoky and uh, long-tongued. Uh, Gene Simmons, rock and roll, rock and roll Hall of Famer and co-founder of Kiss, launched a premium soda line. Really because sure. <laughs> Come on, Gene Simmons, you you're gonna rock and roll all night and party <laughs> and until ginger ale every day. <laughs> Yeah. Best part of uh, that movie, Role Models. Part of every day. Part of every day. I've got I've got things to do. <laughs> like I can rock and roll from like noon to three. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, his new line of craft premium soda is called Moneybag Sodas. This month in Cupertino, <laughs> as if the evil wasn't already obvious. Yeah. God. Uh, is launching it with New York-based Rocksteady Sodas Incorporated, a subsidiary of Johnny Ryan Bottling Company. It needed to be a subsidiary of Bebop Incorporated. <laughs> yeah. Uh, according to Paul Jank- Yannick Jr., president of Rocksteady Sodas, the new line of premium sodas are made with all natural flavors colors and sweeteners and are packaged in eco-friendly glass bottles uh, uh, now when we do glass we're just oh it's glass that's eco-friendly we're going with that now adorned i with, mean i guess in the 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 scale of what is eco-friendly yeah. the easiest recyclable <laughs> uh, adorned with detailed painted labels well i guess that's another way is you're doing painted on labels rather than hmm. yeah uh, some kind of adhesive thing that'll, that'll burn right off <laughs> Paul and John have an impeccable work ethic, as well as a prowess in the premium soft drink marketplace, Simmons said in a statement. The incredible flavor profiles they create, created and uh, collectible packaging, of course it's got to be collectible packaging, uh, will be a crowd pleaser. I'm very proud of Moneybag Sodas and excited about my foray into the soda business. Man, this just screams of cash grab. Yeah. The, well, at least they're it, straightforward about it. It screams mm. of Simmons' entire life. Yeah. Uh, the Moneybag Sodas line initially includes a cola, diet cola, root beer, and ginger ale. Additional flavors are in the works, along with a line of premium fountain sodas. Uh, among That's the re- retail different. outlets are uh, that are going to be planned to carry it, are 7-Eleven stores, uh, Wegmans, Tops Friendly Markets, and Rocket Fizz Soda Pop and Candy Shop, <laughs> kicking off in the Northeast and Los Angeles markets and expanding nationwide. 7-Eleven stores also exclusive, exclusively carry a Moneybag Sodas cream soda flavor. Uh, Moneybag Sodas 
is positioned in the specialty soda category. Packaged in glass soda bottles, money bag sodas are bundled in vintage style four packs with custom crowns. Uh, the company says so. I'm willing to bet those uh, custom four packs cost you oh, know yeah. way over what a regular six pack of what you would call craft soda. I hate the name and the labels look dumb. They do. <laughs> I would just prefer That's just me kiss soda like flat out. Well, yeah, like what are they doing with the, all their faces on them? And I'd be like, okay, you probably have to have to one split that money with the others and two talk to the others. I thought, okay. doesn't he own, like, the whole name almost? Like, hasn't I he don't know screwed everyone else out of their parts of it? I wouldn't be surprised. Probably. So Maybe. I'm I'm going to wait to put this link. Well, actually, I'll put the link in there. And then it actually shows how much these sodas cost. So oh dear. I want you to guess the price of these sodas. But don't click the link until you guess. Okay. Um, like, for the pack or? For a pack or for a soda? For the pack. Four pack. For a four pack. Um, Fourteen. I would say, I'd say a little less than that. In the, I want to say 10 to 12 range, so let's split the difference there and say 11. <laughs> for, for a four pack? Yeah. Yeah. $30. <laughs> All right, click the link. And also check out the display because it is about Ugh. as creepy as it comes. Oh! Yeah. $4.99. Oh, wow. $4.99 a four okay. pack. That's okay, not bad. That's not, not bad. As, as crazy as I was thinking it would this, be. You just hear his yeah. voice doing the the catchphrase is this is soda royalty. Oh my god. It's it's a seven eleven. It is not. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh. So Gene Simmons is slowly becoming that characterization that he plays in a ton of different movies of just like that sle he's that was, douchey guy. He was the sleazeball douchey uh lawyer in Extract. He was the sleazeball what was it like TV preacher in um, crap? What was that bad B horror movie? They just had a bunch of like rockers from the eighties showing up in it. What? Oh jeez, I don't remember. It was the one where you got the like the death to false metal thing. Remember, it was like there was a demon that was coming out of the music or whatever, and I oh, forget it. I don't know. He plays a sleazeball you know, in that. Simmons must have caught the buds, you know, because. <laughs> He did the uh, soda Dr Pepper commercial. Yeah, oh yeah, they had a big a thing for years. years. Yeah, for years because they did the the thing with uh, what was it, Mini Kiss or whatever? Because they're saying it has a little kiss of cherry for the cherry Dr Pepper. Jeez, yep. yeah, yeah. The, I remember that. The midget kiss came out. I don't know what they were. <laughs> I don't know if that's called. PC. I don't know what they were called. <laughs> little people. Uh, I put up a link, but I don't know if it's got the one you're talking about. Oh. But I did put a link to a, a Dr. Pepper, Dr. Love. Oh, oh I remember yeah. that too, yeah. yeah. That one I remember, definitely. I don't know, this is... I just hate Gene Simmons so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was never a uh, Kiss fan. I'm, oh, I'm a huge Kiss fan. Like, you, you start playing Love Gun and it's on. Oh. <laughs> Uh oh. Well, you know what happens when someone pulls out the love gun? It's closing time. Closing time. Closing time. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Well, no, I know who I want to take me home. <laughs> Take us home. God. All right. Yeah. Um, looks like they're going to have a little bit more time before before oh. that happens, at least in California. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, yeah. Yeah, they have, they have a little less time for bed. Before closing time. <laughs> uh, California lawmakers passed a bill last Thursday that will allow bars, nightclubs, and restaurants in certain cities to extend the sale of alcohol to 4 a.m., Ooh. The current curfew for selling booze is 2 a.m. This is from Vine Bear. Whole two hours? Uh, 2 a.m., yeah. Uh, Senate Bill 905 passed on August 30th, 2018, and uh, the governor has until September 30th to sign it. Uh, as reported by Napa Valley Register, it will apply to nine cities, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Oakland, 
West Hollywood, Sacramento, Long Beach, Coachella, Cathedral City, and Palm Springs. The city's stated interest in implementing la- uh, later nightlife hours. Each city will individually decide whether to limit the new hours to certain neighborhoods, nights of the week, or different times of the year. Under the current California Alcohol Beverage Control Act, the sale or purchase of alcohol between the hours of 2 a.m. and 6 a.m. is uh, classified as a misdemeanor crime. Mm. Wow. Uh, if, yeah. <laughs> Smoke, it's, uh, here. <laughs> 4 a.m. closing here, nothing ever good happens. Yeah, that's like, what is it? The, is it the Scott thing on TMS? And he's like, nothing ever good happens at 4 a.m. Yeah. Nothing. <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of like, what was it, uh, France? Why didn't we run that story? They didn't come up the hole in uh, Paris. They just put oh, the in the urinator thing. The urinators. Like, they look like these little uh, mailboxes that you can just, like, whip it out and pee in. <gasps> yes. But they're way that's too the wide. Idea. I mean, it looks like they intended for two guys to saddle up to this at one time. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no. <laughs> But there's Everybody. no there's no discreet peeing to that thing. It's just like it's obvious. There's it's literally a, a sign that's yeah. like urinator points right to it. So it's, <laughs> it's showing a dude looking at people like cruising by on a boat in the little canal, and he's just like standing there peeing. He's like, no one knows what you're doing. And big red sign says urinator pointing down at him. <laughs> uh, I think so. Oh well, looking at other, I, I did pull up when's last call in other states um, in Kentucky. Everywhere is 2 a.m. except in Louisville, which actually some bars can license to 4 a.m., hmm. which is interesting. Um, in Nevada, there is no last call. Oh, because Vegas. So, <laughs> none. <laughs> um, and then I was looking at one more here that was really interesting. Um, it was Louisiana. Oh, and yeah. Louisiana has none. And so the places in, you expect all the drinking to happen. <laughs> in like, cities like uh, New Orleans. The one that got me uh, got me off a little bit here was, uh, well, not, that sounds bad, but the one that <laughs> yeah, kind of took me worse. off whenever you were thinking about places with bad laws. Alaska, 5 a.m. Dude, I'm I mean, already up and at work, but like on my way to work at that time. Like that's a, insane. I've usually been <laughs> at You work can drink before. until work time. I mean, that used to be the case, apparently, talking to old employees. Yeah. Well, except on on Election Day, they actually do try to, to limit it a little bit, it says here. Mm-hmm. They move it from 5 a.m. to 3 a.m. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> Got to make sure yeah, everyone's yeah. sobered up by the time the polls open. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. Makes sense. Well, if this law is, uh, if this is signed into law, it would extend the drinking hours. will go into effect on January 21st. Uh, sorry. January 2021 Uh oh wow the year where everything happens it seems 2020 and 2021 everything is scheduled to happen (laughs) well it's a five-year limit allowing officials to decide whether to review or abandon the legislation uh after examining examining the effects of the bill Hmm. Hmm. so yeah (laughs) people get drunk (laughs) it turns out hey there's a larger profit margins for bars and uh we get more tax revenue awesome you know what i really see happening with this is people starting to go out to the bar later yeah you'll have have two distinct crowds and then you'll have like a lull in between it'll be like you'll have your rush lunch rush and your dinner rush (laughs) and your lunch rush will be like the blue hairs (laughs) and then you'll have rave music from like 2 a.m to 6 or 2 (laughs) a.m to 4 a.m or whatever yeah it's one of those like i hear that i go I'm too old to want to be drinking until four in the morning. Yeah. Oh God, I can't I, even drink till midnight anymore. Like <laughs> we couldn't even handle like the group of us. It's like nerdtacular, and like one a.m. comes around, and we're like, guys, guys, we can't hold our eyes open. Hey, hey that's out. one a.m. Mountain time. That was a, a, a you know a, a time zone difference for us as well. So and in altitude, like that was crazy. Yeah. Some of us have been champions and had been uh, drinking all day. And with the gas that you get, you don't need to add carbonation <laughs> to that. Right? Like, that was a whole different thing altogether, really. Fumigate that room after we left. <laughs> no one could have that room after we left. No, they had to close it down. They're like, nope, forget that. So smoke, Fumigate it. Smoke's asking about the weed bars. I don't know. that We didn't hear any stories on that one as Ooh. far as... Mm-hmm. Do they have a last call? We don't even know. Yeah. Interesting, interesting proposition there. Well, you know who uh, smokes a lot of weed? Who? 
Lagunitas Brewers. No, and thanks, you don't. <laughs> thanks to a new survey, we might actually be able to figure out where how much money they have to spend on weed. Mm-hmm. So a new study that comes from beervanablog.com uh, came out just a few days ago. Um, work was put together by Jeff Allworth. Um, he had a survey that went out to all the brewers in the U.S. only um, and ended up with 397 valid responses. He removed all the, the identifying information, and so here we are kind of put away so that we've got just the basics and just the facts, Jack, here laid out in front of us. Um, so one of the cool things to see here was that you saw only 2% of the brewers out there worked at breweries that produced more than 100,000 barrels worth of beer. So that's that's not a whole lot of breweries that are producing a lot. And in fact, the vast majority, over a quarter of the responding brewers, had were at breweries that produced less than 1,000 barrels of beer. They were kind of split up in the way they responded, with 22% being brewmasters, 19% being head brewers, 19% being lead brewers, 29% being shift brewers, um, which are just your basic run-of-the-mill brewer, uh, 8% in the cellaring, and 4% of the respondents in packaging. Hmm. Now, when you look at experience, the vast majority of brewers had less than um, – Less than five years experience, but you still had a good margin at 32% having five years or more of experience. Although only 35% had a degree in brewing or just, or some sort of brewing related field. All I'm thinking of is I don't need no instructions to know how to brew. <laughs> <laughs> when you look at the split of brewers throughout the United States, there's a little bit of a bump on, in the West Coast and the Northeast. But the South, Midwest, and uh, that region specifically kind of even that out. The Mountain and Southwest region really is where you see kind of a a lower number of brewers, with only 12% of brewers being in that area specifically. Um, It's kind of split between bigger cities and small towns, with more than half a million people and less than 100,000 people, with about 25% being somewhere in between there. When we get into the salary information, you're looking at about 15% of the population making less than $25,000. So those people tend to be the ones working on packaging lines or in the cellars. Um, It's kind of rare for a head brewer or a master brewer to be making less than $30,000, it looks like, in even small brewers, um, breweries, that is. Uh, Although, no, no, I take that back. In small breweries, it's not rare for the head brewer to be earning less than $30,000. There was a kind of a differentiation here. So the way you work your way up in most of these large bre- large breweries is you go shift brewer, lead brewer, head brewer, brewmaster. The brewmaster traditionally that name has been named so that that's the person that actually has an education, a full degree in brewing, and they come in and work with with everybody in the brewery. A head brewer is somebody that kind of like leads up all the brewers, but the brewmaster is there for like the science side of things. In the U.S., that's not necessarily the case. If you're in a small brewery where you're the only person brewing, you may have the title of brewmaster. Mm. And so actually the head brewers in the numbers had a higher salary on average of 47,703 versus brewmasters which had an average salary of 47,614. So you're actually seeing the lower title getting a higher salary because of those single brewers in a single brewery, which is a little different. Um, the larger the brewery, the larger your salary is. So a brewer that's in a very large brewery making half a million barrels a year or more makes about $68,000 a year on average. If you're making less than a hundred less than a thousand barrels, you're making on average about $30,000. So there's a big disparity depending on how many barrels you're putting out. Um, there was some more information in through here about what person had the degree and what they who didn't have the degree. I did find it neat that a degree in brewing changed your salary by approximately seven to eight thousand dollars a year. So on the brewmasters level. So if you if you did get a degree in brewing, you actually um, increased your salary quite a bit. One of the things Chris kind of looked at was the benefits side, though. Um, healthcare, not that great for brewers. Usually 44, that's not surprising. 
44% said that they had no plan whatsoever. Um, 27% said they had a bad plan, <laughs> while only 29% said that they were happy. They had a good health insurance plan. Wow. You look at paid time off. Um, it's not <laughs> not great. Uh, I think whenever I was, <laughs> it was it was one of those things that um, whenever you saw a brewmaster. They got an average of 15 to 21 days paid time off, and that included vacation and sick time both. Hmm. Um, when you're looking at somebody that was a shift brewer or a seller person or on the packaging line, over a quarter of those individuals didn't get any paid time off at all. And if you're looking at the majority of them, you're looking at somewhere in that, well, let's just say about 50% of the lead brewers, shift brewers, seller people, and packaging got less than 14 days, 14 or less days wow. um, of paid off. And that's sick and vacation. So keep that in mind. Some people may get two weeks of vacation, but they also get another three weeks of sick time. You rarely see that. in When you're looking at that sort of paid time off, that's in the top, set, probably top 7% of brewmasters, it looks like, in the United States. Wow. So looking overall at the data, um, brewers are... are earning more at larger breweries, um, and they can actually climb the ladder of the hierarchy. Breweries don't offer many benefits, and most brewers earn a living wage or better, and they get paid more with experience or a degree, which is a good thing to see in the brewing industry. It means we're incentivizing those types of, of things. In larger cities, you get paid more. You get paid more on the West Coast and less in the South, Southwest, and the Mountain States. Hmm. And then um, the, the issues with retirement and training they don't offer a whole lot of that and so you, you're going to have to <laughs> yeah. find some other way other than a 401k to help support yourself and later on in life i mean all that's kind of to be expected unfortunately like it, it's it's still i mean it's practically a small business thing like that you know <sighs> unless you're working at one of the big you know like bud or uh cores or whatever you're doing this on your own for the most part like unless there's you yeah. know somewhere like new belgium True. Smoke asks if drinking beer all day isn't considered a benefit, and I went, "Well, there are like they have other not listed benefits." I say no; those <laughs> yeah. are, those are listed benefits because the places I've interviewed, they said no. It is like it would be in writing. One of the benefits is when you're not on the clock, you can not, drink. Not listed in the survey. Oh, oh yeah, it's a, it, it went on the uh, little chart thing. It has. They're always like, yes, if you're not on the clock, uh, you can be in the tap room and drink absolutely as much beer as you want for free. Uh, nice, <laughs> um, dangerous. <laughs> is what it's that like, is. yes, that's that's great and all, but I can't I can't uh, support a family on twelve dollars an hour. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> can I take six packs and sell them? <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> the uh, the one thing I've seen with listening to some HR people that work with breweries um they're most companies have a zero tolerance policy for alcohol blood alcohol content while you're brewing or while you're working but breweries have to adopt some sort of reasonable blood alcohol content otherwise you couldn't get your job done yeah you literally so, have to taste the product <laughs> yeah and so you can't just be like, no drinking alcohol on the job. You have to set a reasonable limit. So a lot of brewers will go out there and say, okay, the reasonable limit is what you need to do to do your job. If you're just throwing back a pint, then that's not that's not doing your job. Right. But some brewers are just like, hey, don't get hurt. <laughs> <laughs> don't get hurt. We're not going to have any problems. GLHF. <laughs> don't don't run your no insurance. So <laughs> this is on you. Turns out. Yeah. <laughs> Don't don't go grabbing all those random hoses and lines you see. One of them is going to be extremely hot. <laughs> yeah. And this is, I'm sure, how we get people covered in in carbonated hops shooting out of the top of kettles. <laughs> oh jeez. No, I think we could also just count that on just some people are dumb. Well, that's true. <laughs> all right. Oh well, you know one brewery that probably does pay their brewers pretty well. Yeah, I, I think they can afford to. Yeah, a little bit. Um, Carlsberg turns out so uh one of the few like i don't know we were talking about this earlier it's one of the few like imports that i'm like yeah i'd drink that it's fine so carlsberg ditches plastic wrapping on their six packs and they're turning to a new glue technology so that's interesting <laughs> i love that it's called glue technology yes. yeah like what do you yeah <laughs> i work in the glue tech industry it's just like those little those little glue tabs that 
like there's like a little circle of glue it looks like oh. on there you just push it together fair yeah uh, it says champion championing the it, as a world first for the beer industry. Carlsberg says it will reduce the amount of plastic used in multi packs by up to seventy six percent. This equates to reducing plastic waste globally by more than twelve hundred tons a year, the equivalent of sixty million plastic bags. That's kind of a big deal. Um, yeah, we got we got room for sixty more million plastic bags. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, well, it, it everybody's like outlawing them so no it's you don't the war on plastic bags <laughs> yeah. and it's finally come so that's like kroger was like no by next year they're gone we're not even gonna offer them yeah uh this is the snap pack is one of the sustainable packaging innovations announced by carlsberg other projects include a switch to cradle to cradle certified silver inks on its bottle lab- bottle labels to improve recyclability a new coating on refillable glass bottles to extend lifespan and therefore their environmental footprint, and uh, caps that remove oxygen to make the beer taste fresher for longer. Hmm. Huh. Uh, so the new innovations will be... As we discovered last week, yeah. very important. Important, important thing. Uh, the, <laughs> oh. the new innovations will be applied on the flagship Carlsberg brand. They are part of consumer-facing innovations in Carlsberg's well that's the plural of that makes you feel a little drunk um carlsberg's uh sustainability program um says we always strive to improve and and today's launch um this was oh no it was actually like this week okay uh today's launch shows our ambition to follow in our founder's footsteps towards a better tomorrow (laughs) um building a better tomorrow today (laughs) yeah that's exactly what i got in my head uh, so, but they're not really, they don't say like, oh, it just says it's a special adhesive. So, um, it, you can see it in the, in the picture that there's a little bit of, there's a little, little dot, uh, of basically glue Oh, okay. and you can just shove it together. Um, I mean, I wonder how well that stays together in packaging. I don't know. <laughs> like transport and stuff, you know? Um, but That's good where the technology them. part comes in. Right, yeah, glue technology. I don't know, there is some well, crazy... It's got to be strong there. enough to stay together, but weak enough that you can reasonably remove it. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of intrigued, honestly, just <laughs> be like, I kind of want to test this out. Like, And especially like for that, because it's a Pilsner, obviously, but that style of beer, it's otherwise in the green bottles, so it might be good to try and find one of these packs of cans... And see, you know, you're going to get a better taste anyway, but then also kind of test out this whole, like, glue thing. That's right. Yeah, I mean, it's a neat idea. I just, I'm, I'm afraid of, like, how many of these just start falling loose in packaging. But I know, but, I mean, I guess they wouldn't put it out if it, like, sucked that bad. No, eh, they're going to be yeah. testing it and they want to figure <laughs> out if it's going to be an issue. Yeah. There's, if there's anything I've learned over the years, Brittany, is <laughs> it's something sucky does not, yeah. does yeah. not keep them from putting it out. Yeah, fair enough. They'll, they've already committed to doing this for X amount of time, and they're going to do it for X amount of time and see see what happens. And if the losses from things shaking loose or whatever right. aren't as bad as other things, then they're like, yeah, we'll they're, stick with it. Or they'll be like, forget that. We're going back to our regular methods. They'll introduce their new five-pack. <laughs> <laughs> the new holiday five-pack. Uh, all right. Uh, well, next we have not necessarily a story, but... Public service. <laughs> Public service announcement. Yeah, uh, if you're looking for uh, at least some Oktoberfest, but uh, not wanting to spend too much money, stop on down to Applebee's. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, I know. The only no time we'll go- ever tell you to do that. <laughs> no yeah. one ever wants to go to Applebee's. However, uh, starting when does this start? Uh, the entire month of September. Yeah, it's the entire month. Okay. Oh. Okay. Uh, so now. So for <laughs> September, you can get $2 Oktoberfest drafts. Like we're talking Sam Adams Oktoberfest. Now, now we know what you're thinking. Oktoberfest. Now, was it, are we just getting like some kind of really bad Oktoberfest or something? No, no. Sam Adams Oktoberfest for $2 for a pint. Kind of awesome, actually. Oh, Look, I will eat some pint, appetizers but... and... And you know, right, like, put down some Oktoberfest. Go get some wings or or, or yeah. cheese fries or something. I don't know. I'm not, I, don't I have the they... day off tomorrow. They <laughs> yeah. said all of September. All yeah. of September. 
I don't know what they even serve at Applebee's anymore. No, we haven't Maybe. been to Applebee's in like a million years. I don't know what they serve either, but I bet you they've got like some sort of cheese cheese stick or some sort of nachos. I gotta look oh, this up pretzels now. and cheese dip. They have oh. like a, a fried pretzel stick what? with beer cheese. A bunch of, yes. Makeshift, makeshift Oktoberfest. <laughs> All right. Hey, everybody. Come on down. We're, it's your untapped badge. Not that I know of, but you'll oh, get the there should be. There's, it's why called didn't Rock they? Bottom. <laughs> rock Bottom. <laughs> because you had to go to Applebee's? Or? No, no, that's <laughs> what, if there was a way to check into the mixed drinks that are a dollar. Oh, yeah. The one the dollar. Dollarita? Yeah, the strawberry margaritas. Or the one dollar Long Island. I have to look, so I'm looking up their appetizer menu just because I'm like, what? Chicken wonton tacos. That sounds fine. Hmm. Yeah. It just sounds confusing, but you know what? Let's focus on the fact that they're going to have $2 Sam beer. Adams, yeah, you'll figure something out. It's fine. I will be rating one of those while I am near an Applebee's for work, <laughs> and I will have a company charge card, and I will just be in there. <laughs> charge it, charge it, charge it. <laughs> you're not going to be that mad. You're not going to charge charge it that much. There are only 10 ounces. Yeah. yeah it'll, it'll, be... it'll take you a dozen to get there. <laughs> But I will get there. That's the point. <laughs> Jeez. All right. All right. I think that does it for this episode, guys. So uh, we'd like to remind everyone that this is our news only show, but we also do the weekly long form show discussing the science and history around what you drink. If you like what you hear and you want to support Have a Drink, please go to patreon.com slash have a drink show. And we will see you guys again next Saturday live at 730 p.m. Eastern on Twitch. And once again, I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. I'm Christopher Walker. And I'm Casey Price. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Club hopes you have enjoyed this broker. <laughs>